0: Welcome to Expand Your Horizons, the podcast for English language teachers and wanderlust indulgers. I'm your host, Shannon Felt, teacher trainer, resource provider, and course creator for teachers around the world. In each episode, I'll share concrete strategies to help you sharpen your skills and become the very best teacher you can be. We're talking all things ELT, the most effective classroom practices, communicative methodology, And valuable tips for planning and teaching so you can help your students see real improvement in their language abilities. We'll also hear from language teachers and ELT professionals all over the globe who are making inspiring moves in our industry. So thanks for joining me. Here's to making this big world a little smaller by connecting ESL teachers everywhere. Hello and welcome back to Expand Your Horizons. Shannon here. And this week on the podcast, I'm excited to welcome back a returning guest, Jackie Bolin. Jackie taught English in South Korea at private institutes and universities for over 10 years. She now lives in Vancouver, Canada, where she is what I like to call a teflpreneur. She teaches, writes, and runs two successful websites, eslactivity.org and eslspeaking.org. She is both CELTA and DELTA certified and strongly believes in the value of communicative, interactive language teaching. She's particularly interested in using games in the ESL classroom, and she's published several games and activities books, which you can find on amazon.com. In her spare time, Jackie is usually on the hunt for the most delicious kimchi she can find, which she says isn't that easy in Vancouver. So this is the second time, as I said, that Jackie has joined me as a guest on the podcast. Um, I'm very happy to welcome her back. In this episode, we're going to be talking about strategies for maximizing student talk time, minimizing teacher talk time, and making lessons more student-centered in general. So let's get started. Hey, Jackie, thank you so much for being here. Hey,
1: Shannon, nice to be back on your podcast.
0: Great. I'm so glad we get to connect again. This is awesome.
1: I know it's been a while, maybe a couple of years or something like that. I'm not sure. But yeah, it has been a while.
0: It has. Yeah. Um, So for those of you listening, obviously, you just heard the introduction of Jackie um, and you may have heard the previous episode that we recorded together some time ago. Um, But for anybody who wants to refresh or for anybody who didn't hear the last episode that we did, um, Jackie, I'm going to start by asking you to tell us a little bit more about yourself. Starting with, what made you want to become an ESL teacher or how did you get into this field?
1: Uh, sure. So kind of like many people, um, I just wanted some adventure, I guess, after I was done uni. So um, yeah, I went to South Korea and I went there for a year initially and um, I had a terrible job at a hagwon that <laughs> ripped me off, like many people, but I loved um, teaching and I love living in Korea. So I went back to Canada to grad school for a few years and, um, yeah, the whole time I was like, Oh, I miss Korea. <laughs> I want to go back there. <laughs> yeah. So after I finished, um, yeah, I went back again and ended up staying for about 10 years, but, um, because I had a master's degree, I was able to get jobs at universities, um, which were much better in terms of like pay and benefits. And yeah, so I ended up staying for 10 more years. And then I came back to Canada about five years ago. So I've been doing some, um, like books. I write books um, for English teachers and then also English learners. And then I have some websites and I do some private tutoring. And I recently actually just became an IELTS speaking examiner.
0: Oh, that's which is kind of
1: like an interesting side gig that I'm I'm just
0: getting started with that. That's really cool. I might have to have you back at some point then uh, there are some there will be some upcoming episodes on exam prep. So you would be a great person to talk to about IELTS, yes. I imagine
1: I can't give you all the secrets, but I can give general advice
0: for sure. <laughs> that sounds perfect. Um, Great. Okay, so you've been obviously in this industry for a while, um, which is, is great. And so something that we have talked about a lot, uh, something that, you know, comes up a ton in anything on TEFL Horizons, for those of you who have followed uh, TEFL Horizons for a long time, is making lessons student-centered, but we don't always really stop and think about why that's so important, right? We just kind of preach like student-centered, student-centered. So Jackie, maybe you can speak to that a little bit. Why is it so important to make our lessons student-centered as experienced teachers?
1: Yeah, sure. So I have a few um, reasons. So probably the first and most important one is that it makes the language more memorable for the students. It helps them remember. It helps them be able to actually use the language in real life. Um, so I think our ultimate goal in the classroom, of course, is to help students learn. Um, and it's my opinion that teaching in a student-centered way, um, yeah, makes this possible or just makes it makes it easier for the students to, to learn.
0: Mm-hmm, absolutely. Do you have any thoughts on why that is? Like, why is it that if I'm a student and I'm participating in the lesson, I remember things more than if I'm listening to the teacher? Uh, Sure.
1: Well, we've all kind of had that experience, I think in university or whatever, if you're in a lecture. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's so easy just to tune out and just let everything kind of wash over you. And You can sit through like an hour or two or three hours of that and realize, what have I learned? (laughs) Do I actually know anything (laughs) from the past three hours? Yeah, Um, sometimes no
0: matter how much you want to pay attention, it's like you don't even notice your mind wandering. And then all of a sudden you realize that you haven't been present for the last 20 minutes at all.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And that's in most cases in our first language. So Mm -hmm. imagine someone, an ESL student or EFL student who maybe doesn't speak English that well how much worse is that going to be? (laughs) That's a great point. They're going to retain actually nothing um, if you just lecture students. So yeah, so I think that's why. Um, But if they're active and engaged and actually talking to a partner, doing some interesting activities, then um, yeah, they're just, their brains are active and um, they're going to remember what they, what they used more than just what they heard.
0: Exactly. It's really hard to tune out if you're actually doing something um, versus just listening to something. Yeah, exactly. Great point. Um, Okay, so every now and then I'll I'll sort of be talking about this with with different teachers. You know, we'll talk about how we want to make things student centered. And every now and then there's a teacher who just really wants to sort of hang on to that teacher fronted lecturing style. You know, they'll tell me things like, well, I'm just more comfortable doing it that way, or I think it works. You know, I think my students pay attention. So why do I need to change? Why do I need to make an effort to be more student centered? Any thoughts on that? What would you say Mm. to a teacher who sort of had that initial resistance?
1: I mean, my style is very non-confrontational. So I would probably (laughs) just say like, okay, but I mean, (laughs) unless I was like, for example, if I was a CELTA trainer or um, a TEFL certificate trainer, then I would definitely push my students or like push the teachers in the class um, to get beyond that. But um yeah, I think I would just gently say, like, why don't you try out a task-based approach mm-hmm. lesson and see how that goes? Or what about the test, teach, is that right? T- yeah, test, teach, test, test approach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and just give that a try and see how it goes. And just kind of, or like, what about a survey? Have you done surveys in your classes? Or just stuff like that. And just kind of make some, like, very gentle suggestions. And just stop saying student-centered, teacher-centered. <laughs> make suggestions that would actually, like, lead to student-centered teaching.
0: That sounds great. Yes. Something that I often say as well is, um, you, you know, you tell me that it's, it's working fine, but how do you know, right? Like often if we're just lecturing or, or the lesson is very teacher-fronted, the thing that you're really not getting is feedback from the students. You're really not getting any indication from them as to how their English is improving or, you know, what they're able to demonstrate in terms of their abilities within the course of the lesson. So, um, getting that sort of proof from the students. And the only way you can get that proof if their English is improving is if they're actually using their language, so.
1: Yeah, I mean, I personally didn't like waiting until the midterm exam to find out that my students <laughs> yes. were like struggling and like didn't actually retain anything. I like to have that knowledge, like in the middle of class, at the end of class, every week, every month, every at time the exams, you... yes. every single time they're doing something. I was always just walking around the class, like eavesdropping on what they were doing with their partner, it's like I want to have that feedback. And if mm-hmm. you no, know, it's if you're just lecturing, you're you're not getting any feedback
0: actually. So exactly. yeah, that's an excellent
1: point for sure.
0: Absolutely. So you mentioned task-based learning, which is something that I haven't talked about a whole bunch um, on the podcast. Uh, so that might be new for some of you listening. Um, so what could you? What can you say about task-based learning? Can you tell us a little bit more about what that is and how that works?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, I'll just state that I'm not um, an expert on task-based learning. I I did try it out a number of times in my classes, Mm -hmm. Um, but basically it's when students, the goal is for them to complete a task in class. The goal is not, so it's different from the usual like presentation practice production, Mm -hmm. because in the PPP model, you're choosing the language that students are going to learn and going to practice. Right. But in a task-based approach lesson, um, they have to complete the task, but they can use any language resources at their disposal. Um, so they, if, if the students need more language or need to learn language, they're choosing what language they need to learn and use. And you can act as a resource or they can use the internet or their classmates or just whatever. So they, they have freedom, I guess, in the, in the language they, they choose.
0: Yes, absolutely. And if this is new for some of you listening, um, you know, with, as Jackie mentioned, with this PPP, present, practice, produce, or presentation, practice, production framework, the idea is, you know, first we present some sort of language that we've chosen, like I'm going to teach you about this particular grammar structure. Um, I give sort of a lesson on it, then the students do some sort of exercise worksheet, something like that, and then they do something more... um, sort of free with the language, like they have a dialogue or conversation or something is the production. Um, So task-based learning, as you said, revolves around a a task. Can you give an example of what a task might be that the students could do?
1: Sure. Yeah. One really fun one that I did, um, it's called, what are you cooking? Or that's the name I gave it. So Mm -hmm. I, I would make up a list of like Three vegetables, two fruit, one kind of meat, two kinds of grains, whatever, just one thing in a can, one thing in a box, et cetera. And then I put students into groups of four and they would have to make up like a little list, like write down, just fill in the blanks on that worksheet. And then they would trade papers among mm-hmm. other groups. And then I would give them, I don't know, like probably the whole class almost. And they would have to come up with a three course meal that they want to make awesome. <laughs> for other yeah. people. And, and then they would have to do a short presentation about that or no wait I, I always put students into groups of three so each person had to talk about one course so the first second and third course and they'd have to get creative and then in the end the class would vote on which meal sounded most appealing to them and I'd give it, like a little that. prize to the winner so um yeah it was really really fun like students love that class I always enjoyed it too and um yeah they were like you know talking about whatever they wanted to talk about related to food um, it was up to them
0: mm-hmm Yeah. So this is, this is a really helpful example. And I think the key with the task that you mentioned, um, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know, I talk a lot about uh, tasks, having a communicative goal, (laughs) making sure that activities, if you want the students to really speak and communicate, there needs to be some reason for the students to speak beyond just the teacher said so. Right. So I love this task because The key is that, you know, the students aren't just told, talk about food, talk about what food you like, talk about what you like to cook. But there's this goal, this task that they have to achieve where they have to plan a three-course dinner. So they're going to keep talking until they've accomplished that, which is awesome.
1: Exactly. And then I love, uh, usually in test-based learning, there is a presentation of some kind or kind of like showing your results um, to the other students or to the teacher at the very minimum. Um, which I love too. It it gives students like a goal. Okay, (laughs) we have one hour and we need to have this short presentation um, together and other people are going to be watching. So there's like a small element of like pressure, I guess, like, Mm -hmm. oh, I don't want to like, you know, let my team down and I want to like Um, just do a good job because I have to present it in front of my classmates. So I kind of like that element as well. I don't want to stress my students out, but I think sometimes if they're just talking to their partner and nobody's actually listening to them, um, I think it's easy for people to be like a little bit lazy and just like, oh, whatever, (laughs) just talking to this person for no apparent reason, whatever.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And that's something for teachers as well, who are first starting out kind of um, playing with this framework or this task-based learning works really well for speaking lessons, as you might be guessing for those of you listening, because obviously it's, it's very easy to have the students, you know, do some kind of big conversation or, you know, in this task, clearly they're speaking with each other as they're planning their uh, dinner or meal and then presenting it. But one of the things that I think teachers sometimes have to wrap their head around at first is like, okay, so I get them to do the task and then what do we do with it like we know that every exercise we need to have feedback so like what's the feedback, and I think that idea of thinking of having this sort of mini presentation at the end. That's your feedback is the the Mm -hmm. students presenting what they've come up with or how they've achieved the task to the rest of the class.
1: Yeah, exactly exactly. So after the presentation, I would generally. Um, get students to go back into their groups and then I would ask a couple of questions usually like um, what or like how how did your process go like but I would make mm-hmm. questions easier to their level like right. I'm like what did you enjoy about working with your team and then they would say like oh Mingyu was like a really good leader or like I don't yeah. I, I I've never talked to Su before or like whatever just something like that or like oh i learned that minji is like a really good cook and she had many good ideas or like just something like that and then also like what did you have a hard time with or what was the nice. hardest part about um this assignment and then they would say oh i didn't know any f- food or cooking vocabulary <laughs> so it was a struggle right. or, 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 or yeah just whatever which is in uh, whatever the case back. is
0: for you as the teacher that now you have some indication of what the students need so it's student-centered not just in the sense that the students are participating and doing things but also that in a way the students are dictating what they're learning based on a very real need for certain language or certain vocabulary and then Mm -hmm. you can take it from there in the next lesson or even um, what you were saying earlier I thought was really insightful in terms of It's not the teacher choosing the language the students need. It's the students sort of showing you the language that they need based on how they're doing on the task. Mm -hmm. Um, so often what teachers will do is set the task, like, okay, you need to, you know, plan this meal. The students will start, the teacher will see that they're struggling with perhaps vocabulary related to cooking. The teacher can then do kind of an impromptu teaching of some of that language and then let the students continue on, um, so obviously it takes a bit more thinking on your feet as the teacher, but it is a really, really student-centered way to approach a lesson.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I also, I kind of, well, it, it does require some thinking on your feet, but it's also a nice kind of change of pace for the teacher in a lot of ways um, because you're not front and center. Um, once mm-hmm. you set up the task, it's like you're more of a guide instead of like kind of the guru at the front of the class, the all-knowing guru, which I try to avoid at all costs. So
0: I love. Um,
1: I definitely like being a guide, and like students would put up their and I would say like, I'm your resource. Like, put up your hands, or like I'll check in on you and do you need help? And students would put up their hands and they would say like, How do we say this? Or what's this? Or what's that word for this thing? And I could help them. So it was like, I actually found it quite relaxing Mm -hmm. um, in those classes. And it's not all about me, of course, but um, standing at the front of a class lecturing is exhausting, at least for me. It's (laughs) a lot of pressure. I would way rather just circulate around the class and just help students individually or like in small groups like that. And um, but I taught university students as well. So um, there was no aspect of like crowd control in that they I would just give them a task and they would say like, okay. And there was zero behavior issues. It was all just right. like, they needed help with the language. So I could see teaching kids might be a little bit more challenging <laughs> Yes, um, with this style of, of teaching for sure.
0: Absolutely. But for older students, for adults, I think it's a fantastic strategy. Yeah. Um, yes. Be the, the guide on the side, not the sage on the stage. That's what it is. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's a good one. I like say, that. Yes. <laughs> Um, And so you mentioned, obviously, doing this in the classroom, just a quick note for those of you who are teaching online, you can still do this. Um, You know, so as Jackie said, she would tell students to like put up your hand if you need something, Um, you can do the same thing. The breakout room feature on Zoom has like a call for help or call the host button. So you could actually tell your students up front if you have a question, if you need a word, if you know you need some help, just use that call the host um, feature and I will come in and help you. So you can still let the students dictate, you know, when they need some guidance versus you just kind of taking everybody lockstep through the same thing at the same time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so task-based learning, we talked a lot about that, some really helpful tips for those of you who want to try out some of those task-based lessons. Um, any other strategies that you have for making lessons more student-centered? What else can we do?
1: Um, I would definitely choose um activities wisely so that one I mentioned what are you cooking is 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 a very good one but um definitely think like whole class activities um if I'm going to do them I want students like standing up out of their desk Mm -hmm. moving around the classroom talking to each other so like something like a survey Or I'll I'll make board games, like, for example, a simple pass board game, um, and then put students into groups of four, and then they're working together for about 20 or 30 minutes um, to complete that board game. Or um, also, if they're ever talking, (laughs) I avoid really talking talking to my students unless it's like a very small class of like me and two or three students and of course we'll have class discussions together it doesn't make sense to put them into pairs in that case but um a class bigger than say like six people um I'll always just put students into pairs and have them work um, together with a partner or small groups. So, and then they'll talk with their partner and then um, they'll come back. We'll come back as a class and I'll elicit some, some feedback from the students, some example answers and, and that kind of thing. So uh, just think like any time in the lesson that you are going to be talking Mm -hmm. in front of the class, just think, can I avoid this? (laughs) So that's just kind of my general um strategy that I go to so anytime I even write that on a lesson plan I'm like oh this isn't maybe a good thing how can I how can I get around this and and like sometimes you can't of course like giving instructions for an activity um you can just yeah you have to you have to talk for a minute or two to you know like set up something but um, anytime presenting language it can often be avoided um, the lecture style of that
0: hmm I think a great question to ask yourself is at any given point in the lesson, how many students are talking at the same time or how many people can be talking at the same time? So if you have any time an activities, is um, a whole class or you have a whole class situation, only one person can be talking at a time mm-hmm. without talking over somebody. But like you said, if you have a class of 12 students and you put them into pairs, then you can have six people talking at the same time, right? So mm-hmm. six students get to talk, um, which means that you're maximizing your student talk time.
1: And six are actively listening instead of exactly. like in a,
0: instead of one person talking in a class of 12,
1: maybe the teachers listening and maybe one other good student. And right. then maybe 10 are just kind of like thinking about, you know, whatever. But if you're talking one-on-one, it's like active listening is is required in in that case.
0: That's such a good point. So putting students pairs in pairs and groups, very important. And so if you're teaching online, don't shy away from breakout rooms. You you need to use them. I feel very strongly about that. Um <laughs> So let's say I'm a teacher and I've put my students in pairs and groups as much as I feel like I can, but anytime I am in sort of a whole class situation, like giving instructions, feedback, um, at sort of teaching stage, like a clarification stage for grammar or vocabulary, I'm still having trouble reducing my teacher talk time. Do you have any practical advice?
1: Um, yeah, sure. So I had the experience when I took the CELTA course, um, I think I'd already taught for a lot of years, and I was already very aware of the student-centered thing at that point in time. So I made these lessons, and I would get quite, like, good feedback on them from my tutor, but then I just was like, these are great. These are the best lessons, and then my tutor was just like, they're great, but they're, like, a little bit too student-centered, or no, uh, like, teacher-centered, mm-hmm. and I was like, what? <laughs> like, I can't <laughs> believe he said that. But anyway, he said, why don't you try um, the test teach test approach for your next lesson? Um, So I got the grammar point or whatever that I was supposed to teach. And so I made up this like little worksheet um, for my students. And they did it. And I found out like, okay, they're like pros at like, like, like maybe the simple past, like, like the regular verbs, they, they have that down, but oh, they made some mistakes on the irregular verbs and the negative forms. Or something like that. And so then I taught very quickly, um, just kind of reviewed those two things that they struggled with. And then they had like another test, which was actually a task of some kind related to that activity. And then I gave feedback at the end of that. Um, so yeah, that cut out like five or 10 minutes of my teacher talking time at the beginning of class, and students were like actively. Um, yeah, working on the language. So it was interesting. It was, so I kind of incorporated that into my further classes. If I suspected that students had already like seen this specific thing, like a, like, like a ton of times, for example, all students have talked about the weather or sports or hobbies like a thousand times. Right. So you probably don't need to teach them the vocabulary. They probably already know that vocabulary. So in that case, uh, the test teach test approach um, can work really well.
0: Yes, we sometimes forget that we don't necessarily need to teach students everything related to a particular topic or grammar mm-hmm. point. We only need to teach them what they need. And that's a really good way to find out what they need is to give them kind of that initial diagnostic test and see how they do and see what they've got and see what's missing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: If, um, if you're listening and Test Teach Test isn't something you're super familiar with, I'll link in the show notes to a couple of other resources that you can check out to see Kind of exactly what a test teach test lesson might look like um okay so that's really helpful what else about that kind of clarification stage like often for teachers they'll be really good at making lessons student-centered in terms of the practice activities you know speaking activities they've made a lot of progress minimizing teacher talk time during every other stage except when they have to do the actual let's say grammar teaching part right it just becomes again, this lecture, this explanation. Any tips on how we can make even that stage of the lesson more student-centered?
1: Well, maybe, well, my students actually
0: probably hated this,
1: (laughs) but I would do it every (laughs) single time. If they asked me a question or I had to like explain some mistake that they were making, I would never just give them a straight answer. So I would say, I would ask them questions. So they would say like, oh, what's this? And I'd be like, oh, well, Whatever and and then like I'd write a sentence for example and leave a blank and I'm like what goes here and they would have to like figure it out themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I mean, so to me that's like the way to make it more student centered, just to like elicit um, information from the students. But I think I don't know. My students they were they were fine actually, but like, I think they would have just been happier if I gave them the answer. But uh, in my opinion, um, it was more helpful to elicit that instead.
0: I agree. It's a little bit more work for the students up front, but it's so much more effective. Yeah. Um, for all of you teachers out there, I challenge you to, if you're making a lesson plan or even just thinking through your lesson, anytime you write or think the word explain, then I will explain X, Y, Z. See that as a red flag. You should avoid thinking of explaining anything ever in the lesson. Think instead how you can ask or elicit. From the So if you're thinking, I will explain the rules for the simple past tense, change that and sort of reframe it in your mind as, okay, how can you elicit what the rules are for forming the simple past tense based on examples that you can give the students. Mm-hmm. They do need examples. You can't just ask them out of thin air and expect them to produce something um, useful or not get stressed out. But if you've given them, as um, Jackie said, you can just give them examples and then let them use the examples to try to figure out what the rule is, or kind of guide them to understanding that way. Exactly. Yeah. So let's shift gears a little bit. I know that something that you in particular are really good about and something that you've published books of are uh, fun classroom games. Um, Any favorite games that you can share with us?
1: Um, there, I have so many <laughs> games know, and activities that I use do. in my class, but, and, and it also really depends on the level and the skill, um, that I'm doing, but probably one of my favorites is, which I've already mentioned are surveys, um, mm-hmm. My students, whenever I pull it out, they're just like, oh, another <laughs> survey. But then they actually have fun when they're doing it. So, um, yeah, so surveys, they cover all four skills. They can fit into just about any grammatical point or vocabulary set. Um, they are fully student-centered, and they're great for helping students with follow-up questions. Um, there's no reason not to love surveys, basically. <laughs> they're like the ultimate ESL teaching. Um Activity, I think so. That's definitely one to check out. And then um, also, it's very easy to design your own board games um, to fit nice. just about any anything. Um, yeah, so think about that as well. And if you get the teacher's resource book, like that comes with textbooks, yeah, um, you can often find those are actually like gold mines for like surveys and board games and stuff. If you don't want to make your own, so definitely be sure to pick up teacher resource books or teacher activity books or like class activity books, as sometimes called. So. Um, yeah I get those as well. Um, Absolutely
0: yeah many of you out there know how much I love uh, the English File series American English File or New English File and their teacher books have like a whole section in the back which is a communicative activities section they have a ton of great resources for that.
1: Mm-hmm. And then I also love doing presentations um, not like formal formal presentations although I do do that once in a while but um kind of like informal things like students just like kind of that what are you cooking thing like students have Mm -hmm. a task they have to do and then give a little presentation at the end of class Um, and then the other groups might give them feedback or ask follow-up questions or something like that so yeah that's that's another favorite of mine
0: that's great and something that jumped out at me to the way that you set up the what are you cooking activity is that Mm -hmm. even for the presentation the students who were listening to the other groups present they had a task as well so they had to choose what was it? Which meal they were going to eat, or attend, exactly, or something like exactly. that. Exactly. So that's a great tip. If um, if you have one group presenting, you still want to make sure that other students who are just listening aren't being passive. That they're still involved some way. So another. You have to give them a reason to to listen and give feedback to the presenters.
1: Exactly, and and like another thing I might do um, in that situation is that I'll require each group to ask one follow up question. I love that. Um, so I, like after a presentation, I'm like, okay, you have 20 seconds, 30 seconds, talk to your group and come up with like, I always say two good questions in case one is the same as another group. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I will like, depending on the class size, I'll choose maybe three groups at random, or if the class is small, then every group can have a chance to ask a question. So
0: that's a great idea. Yes. And often if you give the students a role, like, For example, with the what are you cooking activity, you could even take it a step further and like really get into it and tell them like, okay, now as you listen to the other groups, you are a food critic and you need to decide, you know, which meal you're going to give the best review to in your magazine or, you know, who knows whatever you want to do, but that often will sort of prompt them to ask follow-up questions even on their own. Like you could tell them if you need more information, make sure you ask. And then you'll have, it's amazing. The students kind of come alive and you'll have students saying things like, okay, you said dessert would be cake, but is it chocolate cake or carrot cake? You know, it's like, cause they really want to know all of a sudden. And students Um, can be
1: a little bit hard on each other and stuff and stuff like that, which I think is like, I love it actually when they will like, I don't know, just like kind of hassle each other a little bit in English or just like ask difficult questions. And, but I I taught like very high level students in university as well. So um, I think that's maybe they were able to do that or they had the language to do that. Um, lower level students might just be like very simple, but um, right. that's okay.
0: And they still can, they can still do that. They'll just obviously need more support with the language and it, there will have to be kind of lower stakes in terms of the level of fluency that they need. Um, you know, but they can still ask things like, you know, dinner, what kind of chicken or something like <laughs> exactly. It'll exactly. just be slightly less sophisticated vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I think that's so magical when that happens, when you see students starting to kind of jump in and like give each other a hard time or almost debate a little bit in a friendly way, because that shows the level of motivation that Mm -hmm. they're not just using language anymore because they were told to, or because they know that they're supposed to practice. They're doing it because they really want to, like they have a genuine question, like they really want to communicate something. And so they're thinking, you know, they're kind of being pushed past any, hesitations that they have because the need to communicate has become more important Mm -hmm, for sure. Definitely. Um, okay. Just as we wrap up, you've mentioned surveys and I think that's such a great idea. Can you go into just a little bit more detail on how that works? So let's say I'm a new teacher. I'm listening to your advice. I want to try a survey. How do I do it? How does that work?
1: Uh, sure. So one great example is, um, have you ever questions um the pp and then the simple past if you're combining that into a lesson this is like the ultimate activity um so i will just write on a piece of paper like my survey sheet i'll come up with maybe 10 questions like have you ever gone skydiving have you ever eaten octopus or just whatever, stuff like that? Mm-hmm. And so you want to choose things that you think some people in the class have done, but not everybody has done. That's kind of the key here. Mm-hmm. And so I'll put that on the sheet and then I'll have like another column that says name and then I'll have um, follow up question mm-hmm. um, in the third column. And then I'll leave a couple blank spaces at the bottom and students can make up like maybe two or three of their own questions for the survey Um, so everybody would stand up and then they would um bring their survey sheet and a pencil and then they could circulate around the class asking their classmates like have you ever eaten octopus if someone says no they don't write anything they just have to ask another question like have you ever gone skydiving yes okay and then they write their name in that sheet and then they ask a follow-up question in the simple past oh so when did you go two years ago. And then they write two years ago in the follow-up question column.
0: That's great. Um, That sounds like a lot of fun and a great way to get students up and moving and talking to everybody.
1: Mm -hmm. And they, students actually get like really into like finding someone to fill every blank. It's surprising actually, like even university students and adults are like, okay, I'm going to like find everybody. And, and then sometimes there's only one person in the class that's been skydiving. Mm-hmm. So they're all talking to each other. Who has been skydiving? Who did you get for the skydiving one? And then they all want to talk to that person. And um, yeah, it's kind of fun. It's it's like, a, it's it's great. And I I will often do the survey as well. Um, yeah, that's fun. Yeah, which is fun too.
0: And you make it so that the students can't use the same person for every answer, right? Exactly. Only once. Yeah, right, only, only one person. That's and important. Then-
1: and then I also say it's not a group activity. I only want to see one-on-one mm-hmm. talking. So that's also key. And I always will also say like, okay, I know you're excited about like filling in everything, but the goal is actually to speak English um, and get to know your classmates. So like you can copy your friend's answers, but it's like, it's actually not helping. So I always make a point to <laughs> say <good>. that <laughs> like, th- like the goal is actually to speak English and like students get that too. They're like, oh, okay. Okay like it doesn't actually and I was like I'm not giving you grades for like filling in all the (laughs) slots so like genuinely just talk to people in this class and ask them follow-up questions in English you don't need to ask in Korean (laughs) like just try (laughs) your best so
0: yeah yes that's something that sometimes trips people up with surveys at first is um if you don't give the students a reason to to keep moving like to move on and talk to other people you'll sometimes find that you you know you get everybody up out of their seats and you're so excited and then it just turns into like a standing up pair discussion or like Mm -hmm. group discussion you know with one or two people just sort of like talking to each other the whole time Mm -hmm. Um, and teachers are sort of like well how do i get them to move and that's the key so giving them some kind of stipulation where you could only fill in one name for mm-hmm. each thing, that's at least the key that sort of keeps them moving, that once you have somebody for one thing, you got to move on and talk to somebody else.
1: For sure. For sure. So this is a great activity if you have a class of like 30 mm-hmm. or 40 students. Absolutely. Um, it's amazing. Like so, so good. Um, but I probably wouldn't do it with fewer than say like 10 students. Um, it can be quite difficult um, to, yeah, just have enough people who've like done <laughs> all the things, you right. know what I mean? So yeah, so, so bigger classes are better. For that's
0: true or just change the rules a little bit and say, you can pick, you know, use two people for um, each one, you know, something like that. Like you can use one person twice. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Super, super helpful. Um, Well, Jackie, if people want to sort of follow you or learn more, I know you have a lot of resources, you mentioned websites. um, And I know that you have just started a podcast or are just starting a podcast also.
1: Uh, Yes. So the podcast is called Let's Talk Tefl. Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
1: I'm doing it with my old friend from Korea, Jennifer Booker-Smith and I. Um, We have just released, I think maybe, oh, today. Today there'll be the second episode is released.
0: Awesome. Um,
1: So you can find all the, so just search on iTunes or wherever you like um, to get podcasts, or you can have a look on eslactivity.org slash podcast. And eslactivity.org is actually a great place to find podcasts. all the links to like my YouTube channel and um, Facebook, Pinterest, all of that. And there's also a ton of great activities and, um, yeah, links to my books. So, um, also you can search on Amazon or Kobo or Apple books for Jackie Bolin and, um, yeah, you can see, see everything I have there.
0: Perfect. And I'll link to all that in the show notes as well. So it's nice and easy. Um, all right, Jackie, anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? Uh, No,
1: that's great. Thanks for having me on your podcast.
0: Of course. Thank you so much for being here. And I can't wait to talk to you again sometime soon. Okay.
1: Thanks, Shannon.
0: Thanks, Jackie.
1: Bye.
0: Bye. Thanks again for joining me. Feel free to leave a comment on this episode or reach out to me directly at info at teflhorizons.com. And let me know what you want to hear in upcoming episodes. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love for you to subscribe on Apple podcasts and take a few seconds to leave a quick review. It helps so much in getting the word out there. And of course, if you know other teachers or travelers, I'd love for you to share this with them too. Stay tuned for the next episode, and until then, head to teflhorizons.com for more resources and teaching tips. Let's keep making this big world smaller by expanding horizons.